New on Curiosity Stream. Grab your lab goggles. We're out to find the world's coolest, loudest, and most in-your-face experiments. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. See how hands-on science can change our everyday lives on oddly satisfying science. Plus, from goats to guard dogs, hear surprising stories about the creatures that brought humanity to the next level. It's animals that changed history. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are twenty dollars, just a dollar sixty-seven a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. This happened about two years ago. I was hanging out with my friend Ivana at a bar in Manassas. It was around nine p.m. and we were just chatting and getting a few drinks. She was telling me about a guy she's been talking to on Tinder. She showed me his photos and a glimpse of their conversation. His name was Omar, and he seemed like your average guy. He was pretty attractive. They've been talking for a few days now and haven't met up yet. She tried several times to get him to text her outside of the app, but he would give her the same excuse. I don't want to give out my number to a stranger I haven't met yet. It's a bit unusual, but totally understandable so I told her that he's being smart. She was on looking at her phone for a few minutes, then squealed. Oh my god. I started giggling and asked her, Oh, what was that? Did he send you a dick pic or something? She laughed. No, but Omar wants to meet. I told her to go for it, and if she wants, I can leave. She said, He wants me to come over to his house. I immediately said, Oh, hell no. She seemed to agree, and continued to respond to Omar. I was now hesitant of leaving because a part of me is scared that she would change her mind. I told her to tell him to meet her at the hookah bar across the street. She thought it'd be weird to meet him with me with her. I told her I'll head over there after and act like I don't know her and just sit across from her. She said okay and left. It was now 10.20 and it's been about 15 minutes since she left. I proceeded to go across the street. I entered the hookah bar and after ordering my blueberry mint hookah, I looked around trying to find her. I saw her sitting at the table closest to the door across from Omar. I sat at the table across from them, and started smiling from excitement because I found this whole thing so entertaining. I have a great view of her face and his back. Ivana seemed to be happy and laughing while talking to him. She was really cute. I got my hookah and I just sat there playing with my phone. I was texting my boyfriend and telling him what was going on. While I was mid-typing, I got a text from Ivana. Amy, I don't know about this. I looked up and saw her face. She seemed pretty uncomfortable. Being the nosy-ass friend that I was, I asked, what's wrong? She answered, he keeps asking me to come home with him. I smirked and responded, oh, he's trying to get some. She wasn't looking at her phone for a couple of minutes, and I saw her stand up. She smiled at him and headed towards the bathroom. She called me. Amy, I need to leave now. The smile disappeared from my face and I started to worry. She seemed genuinely scared. Whoa, what's going on? He asked me like ten times to come over and when I kept saying no, he laughed and said, don't make me kidnap you. He's probably joking, but I don't know. He's probably joking, but that's still creepy. Amy, what do I do? I was about to answer when I saw Omar get up and walk towards the bathroom. I thought he was just going to the men's room, but that's when it got weird. He stopped right outside of the ladies' room and put his ear to it. Ivana, don't say anything else. He's right outside your door. At this point, 
I knew something is definitely wrong with this guy, and we need to get the hell out of here. He took his ear off the door and sat back down at the table. I reassured her that things were going to be okay because I was here, and that we'll leave soon. Ivana came out of the bathroom shortly after, and sat down in her seat. After a couple more minutes of forced awkward conversation between them, it was time to leave. I saw them get up to pay and walk out the door. I got up to pay, then left. I walked by the both of them standing at the front, and just went straight to my car. I just watched them from my car, making sure she's okay. I couldn't hear anything, but from what I could tell, she seemed to be faking a smile, and I think trying to leave. She pulled out her phone, and I saw him snatch it. He held it in the air, laughing as she was trying to grab it back. He then started to walk backwards towards a blue car I assumed was his. She wasn't smiling anymore, and her face was clearly upset. I rolled down my window to listen, now since there are only a couple cars in front of me. Stop playing around. Give me back my phone. Get in the car, Ivana. What? No, give me back my phone. Get in the car now. I can see her crying now, and all I could think was this has gone far enough. I jumped out of my car and called my boyfriend. I walked straight to them, and with my boyfriend on speakerphone, I yelled at him. Give her her damn phone and get the hell out of here. He seemed startled and asked me who I was. Ivana was shaken up at this point, but all I could feel was rage. I'm her friend, and I've been here the whole time. My boyfriend is on his way. If you don't give her her phone back and leave before he gets here, then I swear to God you're going to be screwed. He handed her phone back and started laughing. I was just joking around. Damn. He got in his car and left. I finally calmed Ivana down and let her spend the night at my place. We thought about calling the police, but we saw that he deleted his Tinder. I was upset that my dumbass didn't bother to get his license. I'm not even sure if Omar was his real name. She told me that she paid for the hookah, so we didn't even have his credit card info. I've learned a lot of things from scary situations in my life. This taught me that unless you know someone very well, always meet in public, and it never hurts to have a friend close by. This happened in the late 90s, when I was seven-ish, living in Chictawaga, New York at the time. I was farting around in the front yard by myself, and at some point, a portly fellow driving a crusty dark blue van pulled up to me and in an overly familiar tone explained to me that his dog had run away and that he really needed my help to track him down. He even pulled out a printed sheet of paper with a blown up photograph of a dog printed out on it. I, being the living embodiment of those kidnapping PSA videos, not only trusted and believed him, but I was pumped that I could help find a dog. I loved my dog, and I know I'd appreciate someone helping me if he escaped the yard. Hell yeah, I'll totally get in your van. Thankfully, my stupid ass thought to let my mom know real fast what I was doing. Not even as a precaution. I was just excited and wanted to tell her. I'll be right back, I told him. As I turned around and started towards my house, he began yelling at me and told me that we didn't have time. I told him I would be quick, and before I could get to the port, she drove off. I thought it was weird, but I never brought it up to my parents, and I forgot about the whole thing. Fast forward to a few years ago, 
some coworkers and I were talking about weird crap that we experienced as kids, and that memory just popped in my head. It took a millisecond to connect the dots and realize what was almost went down, followed by a holy shit. In retrospect, I should have told my mom about it, and hopefully he never tried that with another kid, or got caught somehow, but that's just being optimistic. Not the craziest story, but I figured it was worth putting out there. I still feel sick to my stomach, and I'm honestly so freaked out right now. I have every light in the house on. Anyway, here it goes. I volunteer for a 24-7 wildlife rescue service here in Australia that mostly amounts to picking up orphaned joeys from the side of the road, catching sick wallabies and roos, getting possums out of fireplaces and others ranging from very challenging to the basic. Now I don't drive, so I only do rescues in my area or in relative nearby suburbs. I live a block away from a wildlife reserve that has a problem with toxoplasmosis a parasite that is basically deadly to most macropods, animals with pouches slash marsupials. So when there was a call out at 9pm in the reserve right next to me, for a medium-sized wallaby with toxo, I had been bored all day on my day off and went, heck, why not? Got my rescue tub which contains my essentials, hessian bag, ties, gloves, and head torch, and went on my way. The couple that called in the rue were at the entrance of the trail, and they told me where it was. I knew them. Our dogs liked to play together, and I was easily able to understand what part of the track they were talking about, and I trust them. They offered to come with me, but it was cold and late, and I didn't want to stress the little guy out by having so many people around it. So I politely said no, and that I got this. So I politely said no, and that I got this. My area is very safe, and I had no problems walking out late at night, or in the dark. I walked the thirty minutes uphill into the reserve and found the poor wallaby. He was so lethargic he didn't bother to move when I went right up to him. Now he was a very large wallaby, definitely not a medium and probably weighed around forty-five kilos, more than half my own body weight. I normally wouldn't do these rescues because I know it pushes my physical capabilities. So I gently maneuver him into the sack that I had in my tub, tie it up with some cable ties and pop him in the tub. Now having grown up in the area and in the Australian bush, I am very, very used to the sounds of the animals in the night, the scratching, movements, hissing, growling, etc. And since I had my head torch on the entire time, I could see where my feet were going. I was fine. You develop a sixth sense of sorts. I knew the sound so well I was a nighttime bush tour guide a few years ago before I got sick. And when I get a hair-raising feeling on the back of my neck, I know something isn't right, and as sure as sure, every hair on my body seemed to stand on end. I am on the balls of my feet and I scan the surrounding area, thinking it might be a snake or a lost dog or something. But nothing. Confused still, trusting my gut, I slowly start to travel back down the trail. The wallaby is too heavy. I have to stop every few meters and put it down to stop the tub from cutting my hands. Then there was a large crack and movement to my rear left. I spin around and start internally freaking out. That was no animal sound I knew. It had to be a person. It was way too big and there was sudden silence like whatever had made the noise 
had stopped or was stalking. I decided to just screw it, pulled out my gloves, hoisted the wallaby over my back, turned off my light, and started booking it down the trail, sticking to the right side, just along the edge of the trees, leaving my tub behind. I doubt anyone would take it, and honestly, I was freaking out so much I couldn't give a damn. Luckily it was mostly downhill, so I got out of there in maybe twenty minutes or so. Every now and then I could hear a distinctive rustle or crunching of dead bark on the ground. That was way too big for any animal in my area, let alone one that would follow a human. The entire time my instincts are screaming to run, run, run. I was gripping the bag over my shoulder for dear life, and didn't even stop when my shoulder was screaming to stop and rest. I made it out, and down several streets, well into the tight-knit neighborhood, and into the light, before I dared stop. I couldn't bring myself to look over my shoulder. I could feel someone watching me. I started to cry as I made my way home, only a few streets away. I told my mom and she looked very worried and lightly scolded me for being out like that, even though we have both done this kind of thing before. I called up my best friend and she came over for the night and to come with me to try and find my rescue tub with me the next day. This morning... Another rescuer came to take the sick Rue to the vet, and me and Risa went back up to the bush. We found it. The heavy-duty plastic tub has been smashed up, like someone kept jumping on it. It was half intact. There were butts of what I could only assume were rolled cigarettes and a needle, empty on the ground. I just silently picked up my broken tub and threw it away when I got home. I don't think I'll be going out at night for a long, long while. This happened in January 2017. I was going to visit my boyfriend at his flat, so I got the train across to his town. Important to note, I was traveling with my pet dog, a five-year-old border collie. I was traveling at peak time around 5.30pm, so it was fairly busy. When getting off the train, there was the usual rush and push for people to climb the stairs across the platform and leave the train station. I don't know what made me notice him but there was this guy directly behind me when I first got off the train. Mid-thirties, smart, casual dress. Just an ordinary-looking guy. But something made me notice him. As it was so busy, it took a few minutes to climb the stairs, cross the bridge across the train platform, and down the other stairs. During this time, I noticed this guy two more times. Once walking very close to me, the next directly in front of me, and then he disappeared. As I got through the ticket barrier and left the train station, I then started to cross the car park which had already cleared quite a bit. Suddenly this guy is in front of me again, but he's stopping me in my tracks trying to talk to me. He's smiling at me and he says, I noticed your dog was limping. Want to hop in the car and I'll give you a lift? I've got a dog and I know how it feels when they're not well. At this point I remember just looking down at my dog in confusion because she wasn't limping and wasn't sick. I started to get this horrible gut feeling, and I just said to him, She's fine, thanks. I'll just walk home. It's not far. I then started to walk away from him, and he deliberately sidestepped to block my way before saying, No, honestly, it's fine. Just get in the car. I again told him no, and tried to walk away. I could feel my dog start to tense up, and 
I tried to act really calm and nonchalant, but I was so scared by this guy. I'm so glad I had my dog with me, though. At least I had some sort of protection. Again, he blocks my path and says, What's your problem? Just get in the car. I'm helping you out. At this point, I don't even reply to him. I pushed past him and sped walked away. The path I take runs parallel to the car park, and he's just standing there watching me before getting in his car. I'm totally paranoid about walking now, in case he's following me in his car, so I deliberately linger on a main road where there's nowhere for traffic to stop before running to my boyfriend's house. This happened back in 2004 in northern Wisconsin. I was 16 at the time and out deer hunting with my dad and a friend of his, Frank. I do remember this day like it was yesterday, though. The dialogue isn't word for word, but the idea of it is 100% accurate. As a side note, it was one day after eight people were shot less than two hours away. Link to the murderer for reference in the description. My dad and I had a few different stands over an area of maybe three-quarter square miles. He had been hunting there for at least ten years, and I had been going with him since I was five. Up until I was twelve, legal age to hunt with a rifle, I had just been tagging along. This particular morning, we walked to my stand first. It was about 5 a.m., so still dark outside. I got situated, and my dad and Frank went off to our two other stands over a ridge. I got situated and my dad and Frank went off to our other two stands over a ridge, maybe another 500 to 600 yards off. Sitting there in the dark is always a little eerie. Not long after my dad and Frank left, I see a flashlight from the general direction of where they headed, maybe 200 yards away, roughly moving my direction. I figured they forgot something from the truck or something, so I radioed to see what they were doing. We're sitting in my stand. Frank is about to head to the other one, he says. Obviously, this flashlight is someone else. This isn't super uncommon and isn't really a big deal. These woods get crowded sometimes, and there's a spot to park in that general direction. I turn on my light so the other hunter can see that there was someone there. He stops. I see the light turn and go a different direction. No big deal. I end up dozing off while it's still dark out. When I wake up, the sun is up. It's around 8 a.m. I sit there for a bit, radio my dad to see if he has heard or seen anything moving. Nothing yet. A couple gunshots off in the distance is all. I get up and go for a slow walk to get my blood moving a bit. Not far, maybe 30 yards out and back, trying not to make a sound. I come back to my stand, sit down, and take a real good look around. Nothing really going on. I finally look out to my left, where I had seen the flashlight before, and see orange. For anyone unfamiliar, hunters have to wear blaze orange during gun season. I radio my dad and Frank to see if either one of them were moving around. Dad says no. I hear nothing from Frank. I grab the monoculars out of my backpack to see if it's Frank. It's definitely not. This guy is looking at me through his scope. Rifle aimed directly at me. This is a huge no-no. Massive rule we all learn in hunter's education. Never point your rifle at something you don't intend to shoot. Dumb people still do it, though. It's few and far between, but it happens. This is why normal people use binoculars. My first thought was, what a damn dickbag. Thing is, even with me looking at him, he doesn't put his gun down. Now I'm starting to panic, 
thinking I'm going to be the next hunting murder victim. I slowly grab my rifle, get up, stand behind as many trees as I can, and walk down a little path to the side of my stand. My stand was on this kind of little knoll on the side of a much larger hill. I radio my dad, tell him what's up. He tells me to sit tight and stay out of sight. Obviously, as a 16-year-old, I couldn't do that and had to keep looking. Every time I looked, the guy was still aiming my direction, but was always standing in a different spot. Like I would look, go back to hiding, look again, and he would be 30 yards from where he was last time. About 10 minutes of this goes by when my dad radios me. How you doing, bud? Looking back, he was very obviously trying to keep me calm. At the time, I thought he just wasn't taking me seriously. He's still there, but he keeps moving. I don't know what his problem is. Dad told me to just keep hidden and he'll figure it out. That he'll be coming up near him in a minute or two. That's when I hear the shot. I lost my cool trying to get a hold of my dad. Did he just get shot? Where the hell is he? Did he have to shoot the guy? What the hell is going on? I sit there for maybe two to three minutes that felt like hours. All right, come on out and head toward my stand. I peek up over the little knoll I was behind and see my dad waving from along the ridge the random guy had been on. I make the trek over to him to see what happened. Turns out Frank was feeling a little restless and took a little stroll and ended up on the other side of that particular ridge the stranger was on, not knowing he was there. He had knocked his radio battery loose while he was getting situated earlier in the morning and had no idea anything was even going on. The shot I heard was actually Frank shooting a deer. Dad said as soon as Frank shot, the guy walked off away from us, toward the logging road. We helped Frank out with his deer and decided to call it an early day. Although I was extremely nervous, the rest of the week went on with no incidents. I honestly forgot about this even happening. It wasn't until my cousin brought it up to me one night when we were actually talking about Reddit and the creepy, crazy things that I had experienced growing up. She even jokingly said that I should post a few here, and well, I guess that's why I am doing it. I am 23 right now, and this must have happened when I was 10 or 12. My cousin came to visit me during the summer. I live in a small town, and at the time, there were probably wasn't even 2,000 people living here. I may not know everyone, but I do know quite a few people in my subdivision. Enough to know that most of them are elderly or parents with kids, so this made what happened so strange. I was just looking for my cat. She's allowed to go out, which has never been a problem, other than one time she ran away for a whole week, and ever since then she's had a curfew. 9pm just before dusk, in my backyard, there's a football field and then the bush. Just more of a reason to have her inside at night. It was getting late and she still hadn't come in. Of course, at the time, me not really paying attention because I was visiting with my cousin. Before I knew it, it was passing midnight and we were heading to bed. I noticed I hadn't seen my cat and started to freak out. I had looked everywhere in the house and shaken her treats and nothing. I decided to try looking around the house outside and still I couldn't find her. I went inside to tell my cousin I was going to walk up the street and see that maybe she was in someone's yard. I live on one of the end of the streets of the subdivision, so there's a curve at the beginning of my street. 
and as I made my way up the street, I was calling my cat's name out and checking yards as I went along. It was past midnight now, so I didn't expect anyone to be out. But there was this man. He was just standing at the end of Lewis Street, which is only the second street after mine. He was just standing there, back facing me on the other side of where the streetlight is, so I couldn't really see much of him. I didn't think too much of it, because I was preoccupied looking for my cat. But then I noticed he turned and faced right, like completely turning his body to the right, and then straight ahead and then to the left. As I was seeing this, I was kind of confused, thinking, what is this man doing? Is he looking for something? And then he turned and faced my direction, and he started walking, which, again, didn't startle me until I noticed that he noticed me and started running. This full-grown man started full-out running towards me. I was so scared. I ran as fast as I could, and I could hear his footsteps getting louder and closer. I was only four houses away from my own, so it didn't take long for me to get there. As soon as I got in, I slammed the door and locked it. And just as I did, staring out the window, heart racing, I didn't see anyone out there. Relieved, I didn't, but sort of curious and confused, wondering where this man could have gone, I went to the living room to look out the big window that oversees the whole street, basically. And nothing. No one. To boot, my cat was inside when I came in. I have no idea how, who, or where this man came from, or went, but I was just looking for my cat. It was terrifying. Before this incident happened, I was in the middle of making a true crime Facebook group for my city. Not kidding. This just happened last night, and I'm still very scared, very paranoid, and very upset. I've never had anything like this happen to me, and I hope to God it never happens again. This is actually really insane, and I did not think this was going to be my night. So right after I finished making this group, I went to leave to go to the store. A few days prior, I had told this guy, a guy who I'd been seeing for a couple weeks from Tinder, that I didn't want to speak to him anymore based on the premise that I really wanted to focus solely on myself and not really date. The other part was that I was not into him, but this is honestly irrelevant. Any guy who is told you don't want to talk to them anymore should know you mean I don't want to talk to you anymore. He decided to continue messaging me multiple times, and I ignored all the messages because CF mentioned what I said to him. Finally, after almost 20 messages on WhatsApp, I looked at them and saw a message that scared the hell out of me. I don't care if you're working on yourself and you don't want to talk to me. I'm still going to send you things because I care about you. Along with insane messages like, Damn, I miss you. And random videos from downtown where he was watching karaoke. I then blocked him in terror, and blocked him on every other thing. Instagram, my actual phone, and email. A few hours later, a voicemail came through because Sprint is dumb and won't let you block voicemails, even if a number is blocked so I deleted the voicemail without even listening to it. This was a few days ago. Today, I went out my front door and saw someone standing at the edge of my lawn. Their back was turned, but I immediately stumbled back and slammed the door, because I fully believed it was him. I was in the middle of a panic attack. 
and thankfully, my front door automatically locks from the inside once it's shut. I live in one of those big old houses that are split into apartments, so I ran up the stairs to my apartment, shut that door, and started freaking out. I waited a bit, and then checked my back door, which is a door on the side of my house with some stairs. The person had vanished, which was really odd. I came back in, still not fully convinced it was him, and decided to just go to the store. I held my keys between my fingers and walked down the sidewalk to my car, which is a little ways as I don't have off-street parking. I was gone for almost an hour. During this time, I had called one of my more badass male friends and basically told him I was being stalked and that I was 99% sure this guy was waiting outside my house. The scary part was that I had no idea how long he had been out there, as I was happily making this group and just messing around in my apartment. I come back, and I'm walking up to my door when I see the same guy walking erratically in the yard of the house next to mine. Freaking out, I jam my key in the front door and shut the door behind me, and then proceed to cautiously go to the back door and open it slowly. Looking up at me from the yard, right by my back steps, is him. It was him the entire time. Immediately, I just said to him, What the hell are you doing? Like, seriously, what the actual hell do you think you're doing? He proceeds to look up at me with this crazed expression and goes, Hey, hey, what's wrong? What's wrong? Come talk to me. I stood there in disbelief for a second and then just yelled, Okay, screw this. And I heard him going, No, wait, before I slammed the door and locked it. This is where I honestly started fearing for my life. I cannot believe this happened the night I made a MFM fan group, but I guess weirder stuff has happened. I hear him thunder up my steps, and he starts slamming on my door, just pounding on it. That's when I called 911. As I'm telling the dispatch guy what's happening, and trying not to have a full mental breakdown, he's still pounding away on my door, and at one point he yells, Hey to me. My back door is far enough away from my kitchen so that he can't see me, but I still felt like the slamming was right on my eardrum. The dispatch guy sends some cops and tells me they're pulling up and I let him go. I've been shaking this entire time, and I still am, and I keep mistyping things because of it. The cops show up and I hear them talking to him, but I don't know what's going on. Then I hear a different pounding on my door and a flashlight shining through. So I go down the steps, still worried he's going to somehow jump out from behind the officer and open the door. I wouldn't even go outside the doorframe before a male officer told me that he was down at the bottom of the steps, talking to a female officer. He asked me all the crap you ask in this situation, which I've only ever heard about in YouTube storytime videos or through true crime. How ironic. And then he told me I had to go down there to tell him, with the officers as witnesses, that... I do not want contact with him anymore. My exact words, in probably the most deadly serious voice I think I've ever used. I don't want you to ever contact me or come anywhere near me ever again. I want nothing to do with you, and clearly that didn't sink in the first time I told you. He's standing there, his eyes all misty, and literally goes, I apologize. Right. I didn't even wait to acknowledge him, though because I was already walking away after I said a short thank you to the officers, even though I felt weird and didn't feel like thanking anyone. 
My head is a mess right now. They handed him some sort of citation, but I still have a really bad feeling he's going to come back. I need people to know because this is my city, and I am not going to die because some psycho is obsessed with me. His identifiers are as follows. Wears beanies a lot, balding but still has hair and a beard slash mustache, brunette. About 5'11". One of his eyes is screwed up and the pupil isn't even... I'm actually really glad he has this because it makes him super easy to identify. Wears utility jackets. A lot of neutral colors or gray. Doesn't have a car currently and gets around on foot or by taxis. And works as a pastry chef. Nothing like this has ever happened to me. But now I know the fear that women have when it comes to stalking. I blame myself and try to rationalize his behavior, but none of that was okay. I was honestly worried he had a gun, and I'm still worried he's going to come back here again. If it takes me calling the cops on you for you to leave and stop wildly banging on my door, then you're clearly mentally unstable. I did call my friend I talked to before, and he offered me a couch to crash on, but I think I'm okay. I live in a pretty populated area. I'm just really worried about walking from my car to my house tomorrow night when I leave for work. I need two incidents to file a PPO, so there's not much I can do but be extremely cautious and protect myself. You never know who you're going to meet on Tinder. Please be safe. Please be cautious. Trust your gut. Just tonight I was laying in my bed calmly playing games on my phone and texting my friends on Snap. And then some guy named Felix texts me. Apparently he's added me from QuickAd, friends of friends. I thought he might have gone to my high school before I moved. Hi, he says. hey oh, I reply. He asks what I'm up to. I'm watching YouTube. Long pause, then suddenly. He's saying that if I don't do what he tells me to do, he'll come to my house. He then states my street name. He tells me he'll rape and kill me, spread nudes and hack my Snapchat, etc. It's been a long time since I was that scared. I posted a screenshot of his Snap profile on my story, alerting friends of mine to not add him, and if they had added, to immediately block and remove him. A friend of mine came forward and told me he'd done the same to her, and she lives a few states away from me. After an argument and lots of insults coming from me, I find out that it is in fact empty threats. He breaks and removes me after saying, see you tomorrow. But there's still a fear in the back of my head. Everything turned out okay. I am safe, and my Snapchat is locked down now. No location or identifying information. I have taken myself off quick ad. Police were notified, although they didn't do much. This all happened when I was 19. I'm not the best looking dude so I've never had much luck with women, and I ended up on Tinder. I wasn't having much luck there either until the third month of using it when a blonde woman named Katie messaged me. She was pretty enough that I just dismissed her as a bot. It wasn't until three days later that she messaged me again, which was odd because bots almost never message more than once. I clicked on her chat and replied, then looked at her profile. What I saw was pretty generic, but definitely wasn't a bot's profile. We had been talking for like a month when she proposed the idea that I come see her. 
I was pretty reluctant, as she lived nearly eight hours from me by car. But I had to admit I really did like her quite a bit, and I had been thinking about asking her if I could come see her for a while now. After a bit more badgering from her, I finally said that I would take the drive to go see her. At this point, I had no reason to doubt she was who she said she was. We had video chatted every other week, and called most days. I just assumed I got really lucky. Things did get a little weird on the way there, though. She kept messaging me, asking me where I was and making sure I was still coming. At some points, when I took more than 30 minutes to respond, she sent me a slew of annoyed texts. Admittedly, I had chalked this all up to her being nervous about me coming to see her. I was pretty nervous too, so I couldn't blame her. I had a hard time finding the house at first. The directions she gave me were pretty confusing, and it was back through a series of gravel and dirt roads and a large thicket of trees. It was still about midday when I came onto an old-looking house. A window on the second floor was boarded up, but it didn't look abandoned, just worse for wear. Katie's red buggy that she liked to talk about was parked in front of the garage. I took out my phone and texted her that I was here. She only sent a smiley face in return. When I got out of my car to go knock on the door, I noticed someone was looking at me from one of the second floor windows. I found it a little creepy, but figured it was just her father or something. She told me that he comes to stay with her every now and again, so I ignored it and knocked on her door. She answered with a smile and even gave me a kiss which surprised me, and I followed her inside. We sat down on her couch and started talking about our plans when I asked her about her dad. You didn't tell me your dad was here, I said. Was that going to be a surprise, or... Katie looked confused and told me that her dad wasn't here. I still thought she was keeping up the act, and I told her that she didn't have to keep pretending, and that I had seen him looking at me through the upstairs window. Katie went pale and said that we had to get out of there now. We both ran out to our cars, and when I questioned Katie, she informed me that her dad wasn't there, and that she had been home alone until I showed up. I called the police, and while I was on the phone giving their address, Katie gasped and pointed to the window where I had seen the guy last. He was looking at us from out the window again. I got a better look of him, and he seemed older and frail, almost like he hadn't eaten anything in a while. He left the window after we saw that we saw him. The police took a half an hour to show up, and the whole time Katie was crying and mumbling about how she was an idiot for not keeping her doors locked. When the police finally did show up, one started asking me and Katie questions, and the other two searched the house. They came back out a little later and told me and Katie that, while they didn't find anyone, they did find that the back door was hanging open. Whoever it was had ran out into the woods, but the cops were sure the house was empty. After the cops left, Katie asked me to stay the night because she was too scared to be in her house alone right now. I gladly did, and we slept downstairs on the couch as Katie's bed was the room next to the one the man had been in. Katie had also brought out the shotgun that her father had given her, but she never used it. I told her it was fine. The man's gone, but she insisted, saying she'd feel safer if we had it out. I'm glad she did. Later that night... I was still wide awake watching TV. Katie had somehow managed to fall asleep. From the kitchen, I heard the sound of a doorknob being turned. At this point, I wasn't even scared, I was just pissed. I flipped on the light in the kitchen and pointed the gun at the kitchen door, 
and there he was. The guy that had been in the house before was standing on the other side of the glass door. He looked shocked, and I'm glad we had locked the door. The man unfroze and yet again ran into the woods. I woke up Katie and told her what had happened, and called the police yet again. When they arrived, they did a sweep of the woods and found no one yet again. Then they told Katie and me that it'd probably be a good idea to stay somewhere else for the night. Me and Katie said our goodbyes. She was going to stay at her friend's house and I was going home. I left a little after Katie did. I was on the phone with my brother telling him about what happened. My headlights were on. As I was talking, something caught my eye. That man was standing at the corner of the house just watching me. I gunned it out of there and didn't even bother calling the police again. But I did text Katie, and she said she was going to call them again. I don't think Katie ever even went back to that house alone. This happened to me and my girlfriend, now fiancé. To give you some context, she and I met online in 2015 and fell in love. We communicated via Skype for three years because we lived in separate countries until I came to live with her in February 2018. So a few weeks or so before I flew to meet her, she had made friends with a group of guys in her hometown, and I got to meet them shortly after living with her. They ranged in age from 16 to 18, and they would come over to visit us very often because we lived close to the high school they attended. At first, I found it a bit weird that they would always come over and take up so much of our time, but they turned out to be really good friends over time. One of them even agreed to be one of my groomsmen recently. But back then, there was one in particular that always bugged me. Dan. As I mentioned earlier, the guys would come and visit and hang out with us a lot, but Dan was the one that would always take up most of our time. I say this in the sense that he would message us early almost every day, asking if we were home, and if he could come over and would proceed to spend almost the entire day, from morning to night, or early afternoon to night, depending on his work schedule, at our place. He would also go out of his way to meet us and bump into us wherever we went, whether it was the store, a coffee shop, or any other place you could think of. While I found this annoying, there wasn't anything particularly creepy or weird going on, yet. Mind you, we live in a small town where it's almost impossible to not run into someone you know on the way to buy groceries or something like that. Plus, I had only known him for about as long as my fiancé had known him, which wasn't a very long time, so I thought I was maybe judging him too harshly. Also, he was in a long-distance relationship with a girl from another country, whom he was hoping to meet in real life, just like me, so I could at least relate to him on that aspect. I decided to let it slide, but made a note to keep an eye out for any suspicious behavior. The problem seemed to start once he also started trying to incorporate himself into other aspects of our life. He would make friends with anyone we'd be friends with for a long time, tag along with us whenever we were going to meet up with said friends, even though he hadn't been invited, hang out with them without us knowing, etc. My favorite instance and the one that made me become more suspicious with him, was one time when we were going to hang out with some longtime friends of my fiancé. As the friend had finished her shift, and we were getting ready to get into her car to drive over to her place, Dan suddenly showed up and joins us to their place uninvited. 
it was just so off-putting that he would just invite himself over without our friends or even our permission. Then, when we were done there and walking home, the three of us passed his house. We lived further away at the time and assumed he'd go home. But nope. He kept tagging along with us with the excuse that he needed to buy something at the store, which was crap since all stores had been closed for over an hour and he knew it. So he kept walking with us until at one point when we were almost home, we put our foot down and told him that we were tired and just wanted to go to sleep as soon as we got home and told him to go home. It took us 10 minutes to convince him, during which he would react to our requests with awkward and creepy silences until he finally headed home, annoyed. My fiancé, concerned that she'd offended him, asked if he wanted to hang out with us later in the week. What followed was various weeks of him coming over to our place, staying until late at night, and him slowly leaving more and more of his stuff at our place so he'd have an excuse to come over. I kid you not, he once brought over his PS3 with a bag of 30 or so games, which stayed there for three months, it got to the point where people thought he'd moved in with us. He also seemed to have problems with our friends. Among other things, he would get into arguments with our friends and told one friend who was goofing around at our place once that he'd kill him if he didn't shut up. He lied to us and made us believe that two good friends of ours wanted to report us to the police for drugging our friends. I mentioned earlier that some of them were 16 at the time. He allegedly hit one of our friend's girlfriend once. This was never confirmed, but I have no reason to believe it's a lie, etc. It was like he wanted us all to himself and to isolate us from our friends. The last thing he did, which ended up being the key to us getting rid of him forever, was that he started dating my fiancé's cousin, MJ. He broke up with his long-distance girlfriend under suspicious circumstances and started dating her. As a result... Whenever MJ came to visit, Dan would come along as well. My fiancé wanted to hang out with MJ. There was Dan. Even when he was dating someone else, his obsession with us never ended. One day when we were in town, we met another friend of ours, and Dan insisted that we hang out with that guy all day, when we'd already agreed to do something else. When we refused, he and MJ ditched us to be with him, and that was when we'd had enough. We got into a huge fight later that day in a park with some of our friends as witnesses and told him off, telling him we wanted nothing to do with him anymore and to pack up his stuff and never show his face at our place again. This unfortunately resulted in my fiancé and MJ not talking to each other for a long time. We had to move a few times since then, the most recent being February of last year, and we never saw him and blocked him on all of our social media and blocked him out of our lives. We know from friends that he tried a few times to ask around where we live, but our friends always have our backs and don't tell him. MJ and my fiancé recently made up after she dumped him, and now that the sour taste he left behind is for the most part gone, it goes without saying that we never want to see him again.